Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. The central bank loosens mortgage lending rules, but there are concerns about whether it will inflate prices more. Well, the rules are not about managing house prices. I think that's a really important thing. These rules are about maintaining financial stability. Thunder and lightning flashes across the country, even hitting a turbine in the Irish Sea, with much more expected tonight. For the next seven days, we could get another 100, perhaps even over the mountains, 200 millimetres of rain. And concern in the classroom, principals say primary school children are facing depression and anxiety since the COVID pandemic. You can join the conversation online with your comments and your questions on the hashtag TonightVMTV. round of political chaos in the UK as Prime Minister Liz Truss clings on to power there. In the last few hours, her Home Secretary, Suella Braverman, has resigned and criticised Liz Truss in a blistering letter saying she had concerns about the direction that the government was going. Then, more chaos in Parliament as MPs voted on a bill on fracking with claims a Tory MP was manhandled to support the government. It's unclear if the government's chief whip is still in the job after the incident with reports that she had resigned tonight. We will keep an eye on this story and we'll bring you any more developments as they come. Uh, but first uh, tonight to a big story back home and first time buyers have struggled for years, as we know, to get on the property ladder as the housing crisis in this country has gotten worse and worse. Well, today the central bank loosened mortgage lending rules, meaning people can borrow up to four times their annual salary. But with the market short on houses, is this the answer? Well, here's how the central bank justified it earlier. Well, the rules are not about managing house prices. I think that's a really important thing. These rules are about maintaining financial stability. That's, that's been their objective from the start and that continues to be their objective. But all things equal, um, the changes we make, we think will have a modest impact on house prices. On the other hand, house prices uh, are influenced by a whole host of other factors, so all things are not equal. I'm, I'm not prepared to put a quantum because I think there's so many variables involved that if I start putting a quantum, um, people will sort of latch onto it. Well, I'm joined by Fianna Fáil TD Christopher O'Sullivan, Labour Senator Marie Sherlock, Virgin Media News Economics Correspondent Paul Colgan, Managing Director at online mortgage broker Doddle.ie, Martina Hennessy. And I'm joined on Skype tonight by Today FM News anchor Ben Finnegan, who is trying to buy a home, and architect Roisin Murphy. You're all very welcome along to the programme tonight. A big panel, because this is um, a big story. It's the story of a generation 
the issue of finding a home. And this decision that's made, been made by the central bank, I think it's come as a surprise to many people, Paul. I mean, the big question is, why and why now? Well, I think it is a surprise. This review has been going on for over a year, so we were expecting something this side of Christmas. But I think there has been a surprise that the central bank has moved and, and has moved at this point in time. And the, the change to the deposit requirements for second-time buyers, I don't think, was expected after it had been trailed yesterday evening that there was going to be a change in terms of the, the loan to income. The central bank governor was very much, I think, on the defensive today when he met with uh, members of the press who were continually asking him about the effect on house prices. And he had to concede and he said, I had to put my hands up and said, all things being equal, this will have a modest uh, impact on house prices. So they're conceding that what they're doing today will put further upward pressure on house prices. But I think they're making a calculation that given everything that's going on, given the cost of living crisis, given the fact that the ECB are putting up interest rates, that house prices will sort themselves out anyway and this won't play a major role one way or another. But it's, I think, an admission that the market has failed. When they introduced these rules back in 2015, they were designed to ensure that people didn't overextend themselves in the way the previous generation had. And there was an expectation that by now the market would have sorted this problem out, that supply would have met demand. This is an admission that that hasn't happened and that people cannot, in many instances, get the mortgage mm. they need to buy the house that they should probably be able to afford because the rules are that bit tighter. Yeah, and the market clearly still in that state of dysfunction. Um, ben, I want to bring you in here with the homeowner or home buyer's uh, view on this. And before we get to whether you're, you're happy or not with the decision that's been made by the central bank, Tell us about your current living situation. Well, I was renting up until two months ago. And for the last two months now, I've been living in my girlfriend's parents' house where they've been very good to take us in. Um, we kind of calculated that if we were going to keep renting to make up the shortfall that we were looking for in our deposit, it'd take around two years while renting. We've been here two months and we've already made up that shortfall. That's the huge difference that makes when you're renting, paying energy bills and all that. And today isn't even about the deposit. It's just about the affordability. And it's about just being able to get onto the ladder, particularly when it comes to like second-hand homes, which is what me and my girlfriend would be looking at. We know that a first or a new build is totally unattainable for us. But the central bank change in the rules today just makes it a lot easier for us to be able to achieve what we want, which is just getting a modest second-hand home. And it just feels like the central bank has done more today than others have done in the past 10 years. Are you worried, though, Ben, that it is, you know, that fear, that concern that's there, that it's going to push prices up across the board because people will have more money, they'll be able to bid more, they'll be able to afford more, and therefore the prices will go up? Well, as Gabriel McClough said today, there'll be a, a modest increase or marginal increase in house prices. To be honest, I'd take marginal at this stage. The last couple of years, there's been insane house price increases. So like, time will tell if it's going to increase the price, but we're already living in what is, at the CSO a couple of weeks ago said houses are overvalued by 7%. So they're overvalued as it is. So if it goes a bit more... We'll, mm. we'll take the hit. 
It does show, doesn't it, um, Martina, the, the desperate state of the market right now, that even though we're seeing these house price rises and a slight stabilisation, maybe signs towards that in, in the last couple of months, that people are saying, look, I'm willing, I'm willing to pay more to get out of this rental trap at this point. Yeah, so many people are, are trapped in that rental market where they're paying more in rent than they would on their mortgage repayments. But I think today's increase, um, bringing the, easing the limits and bringing the threshold up to four times income multiple will help some people. I mean, in, in, people like Ben in their situation, in his situation where he has his deposit. But for most, the interest rate increases that are now, um, you know, under, underway really do impact the uh, affordability so even though the, the increase in the loan-to-income limits has have come into effect from the 1st of January, because interest rates are increasing, it will impact how much the lenders will allow you to borrow. So today we've all spoken about, you know, the capping on the central bank limits being a prohibitive and, you know, prohibiting people being able to be in a position to buy homes. But actually, as interest rates start to increase, the stress test that's applied by the lenders will come into, into play more so. So the higher interest rates are, the less people can borrow. So it mightn't be the case that the, the central bank limits and the, the increase in central bank limits to four times income will help people to be able to afford homes because there will be a restriction. The, the, the central mm. bank rules are a guardrail, but the lender's own rules are, are to be taken into account also. In terms well, of, of course, ultimately, it's up to the banks to impose their stress tests and they will see, you know, how much they want to to loan someone at the end of the day. So whether it's three and a half times a salary or four times a salary, they've also leeway to go more. And I think the central bank was pointing to that today, that there needs to be more flexibility for individual cases. Yeah. So a softening up there right across the board, all the same. Yeah, so the, the loan to income rules today, they've increased for first time buyers, but for second time buyers, the 3.5 times limit on, on income has maintained. And, and I suppose that will impact the ability for second time buyers, second and subsequent buyers to be able to purchase in, in today's market. So that hasn't changed. The, the cap at three and a half times limit is still for second and subsequent buyers. <laughs> don't need as a higher deposit yeah, as before. So the loan-to-value rules changed today. So that's mm -hmm. really welcome. For second-time buyers who struggle to, to, to maintain a 20% deposit to buy, certainly the increase to 90% to, to loan-to-value or 10% deposit requirement okay. has been really welcomed by second-time buyers. All right. Well, it seems that because there's so much going on at the moment with these interest rate rises that we're talking about as well, Marie, that, that will all of this mean it's essentially balanced out, but you're still facing into a house price market that looks like, if anything... Maybe it's being propped up by this, uh, th these new rules that are being introduced by the central bank. And that's it. And look, I think there'll be lots of people looking in tonight who will be relieved um, by the changes today. They'll believe that they'll be given a fighting chance uh, to try and compete in the market. But the reality at the end of the day is that when you look at the supply, and that's the fundamental issue here, I think there's two fundamentals. Firstly, that you have a whole cohort, of, a whole group of middle income uh, people who simply are paying more in rent than they would in a mortgage and people who are on higher incomes who are actually paying less in a mortgage than if they ever had to rent. So that's mm. a, a basic inequality. But the second key issue is, is that the issue about supply. And yes, while, you know, we have lots of cranes going on here in Dublin and we are seeing, you know, housing units being built, the key issue is how many of those are coming onto the market. And even when we look at the north side of Dublin, even in the areas that I, I particularly look at across Dublin 1, Dublin 7, Dublin 3, there's about 7,500 co-living student accommodation and built to rent units being built and only about 3,500 3 to 4,000 conventional apartment units. So, you know, we're seeing supply go up, so, but it's what supply is coming onto the market yeah. and we're going to have 
more arising from the changes today, more people chasing after fewer units. And, 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 so and what does the Labour Party think? Are you in favour of this move by, by the central bank? Well, I, I think going back to that point that like we, we have people now on, 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 on middle incomes who simply could not afford, you know, their loan to income ratio meant they could never uh, uh, apply for a mortgage and they were paying, they're, they're paying up to 40% in rent. So we had to, uh, we had to make some changes to the loan to income ratio. It sticks in my craw that there's people now tonight going to have to indebt, I, I suppose, incur more debt to, to, well, to that's pay. the point. And that's, that's the key issue, that we need supply, but we need houses for sale because of the demand out there for people to buy. And we're simply seeing too few houses coming onto the market. Yeah, Chris, what do you say to that? In order to be able to afford a home, now the central bank loosening of the rules means, yes, you can, but you'll borrow more money so you have more to pay back in the long run. Yeah, look, I think uh, Marie quite rightly identified uh, some of the main obstacles to home ownership uh, supply is a key um, obstacle at the moment to home ownership and we're working Market on that dysfunction. and, we're, and we're, we're, we're trying to work on supply and we've had 25,000 completions this year and 30,000 commencements uh, in the last 12 months. So that should improve. It's not happening fast enough, absolutely. But one of the other key obstacles to home ownership is uh, mortgage approval. Uh, and what I see certainly in my constituents when talking to young constituents who are looking to uh, buy their first home in particular, is that they may identify a house, a suitable house in a suitable location, um, but it's out of their range and they go to the bank, they look for a mortgage and it doesn't come anywhere close to bridging the gap. I think this is, and it won't help every situation, it'll certainly, and it's it not does the not, It does not resolve any of the underlying issues that we're talking about, which is essentially you're fueling demand. And the housing for all plan is the way we're resolving. And we don't have the supply. That's how we, this housing for all plan is the way we're trying to uh, resolve the issue with the market. But can I just go back to the point, because th this is important. In Dublin, I imagine this will have a limited effect, but where I'm from in West Cork, in the regional areas, it will have more of, of an impact because... House look, prices are I'll, cheaper. I'll, just a simple, a simple uh, mathematical equation, because it's easy for me to explain. If you someone on 50,000 euro, under the 3.5 rule, they would have been able to borrow 175,000. Uh, now that'll go up to 200. And I, I know the first question you ask is, where can you get a house for 200? When you combine that, with the government's supports, so the first-time buyer scheme, thirty thousand euro towards your first house, and also the shared equity scheme, yeah. where the government Look take up to thirty percent. Look at all this money being pumped in. But this is this to, is important. To, to what people would say is, is propping up the housing market and driving up prices. These are mechanisms Three that separate people schemes. that first-time buyers needs and the fresh start buyers as well, those who uh, maybe right. have been through separations and divorce. These oh. are the mechanisms that, that they need, and when all you right. combine it with this uh, increase to the four four times the income uh, borrowing rate. Then you know that will you it will see some like, people. It also does out. sound like good news for builders and developers. I want to bring uh, Roisin Murphy in here. Um, Roisin, you're an architect in I suppose looking at the area of um, you know renovation, self build, all of that sort of thing. What do you make of this decision by the central bank? Will it make it easier for people to build their own homes, um, to, to to buy new homes? What do you make of it? I think you've hit the nail on the head. It's easier for new builds and to buy your own home. Very few. People really are in a position to do that at the moment, though, because of the just the difficulty of supply of, of, of these things. But for me, I suppose I'm very happy to see some flexibility into the into lending. I'd like to see more flexibility. I would like to see 
uh, more ingenuity in lending, to be honest with you, because I think there's people who, particularly in the second-hand DIYer market, which is really, there's a whole movement of people who aren't building, who are renovating properties and who are getting and into this notion of a no-build, where they just go in and they're going to do up a house. That's a very difficult uh, situation to be in as well, to get the money for that. Years ago, it was called a development mortgage, so where you went and you would identify a property that you could do up and you would sweet-talk a banker into kind of persuading you that you were going to turn it into something fantastic. Very difficult money to get, but very important in this climate. I think we need to see probably more green loans, more more people in the money market. I mean, I think people are paying for the mistakes, the market mistakes. It's not us as a as a community of house buyers and architects who made all those mistakes. Okay, we got a lot of cheap money in the 90s, but essentially the market, we're, we're still paying back for the mistakes of the bankers. So I feel as though... Yeah, just on that, you're talking about sort of a more innovative way of looking at loans and, say, to help people... Um, you know, with derelict properties and properties that would be completely out of use to get people to buy into them and to be incentivised to buy into them. It is, it's very much in some of the niche county councils like in Waterford and stuff like that. They're helping people through grants. But you'd like to see the banks really go for this to sort of to be more arty to be or lefty or whatever it is to get more involved in the green money in the economy of of the circular economy the climate change economy to look at people who are coming in for instance and because it's very difficult to draw down the money when you've only got you know a certain amount of the house built but you need the money done and there's this kind of thing you won't get you won't can't you know there's all these details about the surveying and the appropriateness at the time when the money is released so it's quite difficult to to, to negotiate all that so i think we need more of this more of this kind of thing, more money, more incentive for people to uh, be able to buy their homes and to try and get young people into the market. I think we are facing a real crisis if we, and I think the banks identified, they're not here as, they're not being generous here. Their market is going to suffer if they don't get people, young people in at mortgage level now. So they're not doing it just out of the kindness of their own heart. You, I think you said the, mar the market is in crisis. It's not just the housing market that's in crisis but if you're going to just give loads of money to people to build hotels and it was identified earlier the, uh, from the senator that all the supply is really for very um, kind of nebulous communities um, that's not going to sustain a mortgage market either for the bank so it's within their interest to keep this market going. So I'd say we'll see more of this, more innovation in money lending is what we need. More, more innovation in money lending. We don't know exactly if we're, we're going to get that, Paul. I mean, they've announced this today. I mean, could we see a further loosening of the rules? It's gone from three, three and a half times salary to four times. Or is there that, that right, right, that correct caution there that, you know, we've come out of out of a bust, we've seen what's happened yeah. when we've given, you know, 100% mortgages and, and big loans to people who are now saddled with a lifetime of debt. Yeah, well, the governor was very clear today that this wasn't marking a return to reckless lending, that sort of reckless lending we saw 15, 20 years ago. And he was adamant that these changes that are being made today are going to be there for a long time, that he didn't envisage any quick review of this anytime soon, that this is a change that they'd considered long and hard for over mm. a year and they weren't going to, to push it any further. It has to be said, the banks do have a certain leeway, the 15% uh, in terms of exemptions, so they can push it even further than, than, than originally. Uh, so those exemptions still exist. Uh, the, the bad news today out of that same briefing was Mark Cassidy, who was sitting beside Gabriel McLeaf, said that they detected a problem with the supply pipeline, that they're 
looking down the line to this time next year or 18 months down the line and there's not going to be anywhere close to the number of houses or units coming onto the market that we had hoped for just a couple of years ago and he was putting that down to the big increase the inflation in, in material costs mm. and he, he fears that that's going to have an impact not this year, but next year. So you might see reasonable numbers in terms of completions this year, but they're not going to be the same next year. Yeah, what's that's, the what, what, that's and what is the government going to do about that? Because that's that's what we're hearing. You know that there isn't that incentive uh, for builders to build these houses that you'd like to see built, Christopher. Well, I think this move by the central bank will be an, an incentive. Uh, to how build now? Houses. How will that work? It'll create extra demand by um, bringing more people into the uh, affordability sector because they so will be things? approved so, for, so for, people, for more market, so Because more mortgages. people can afford to take on more debt in order to buy a house, developers can charge well, more for a house. Demand so is, 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 is a it. large part of it, but I'd actually contest what Paul is saying there. As I said earlier, we've had uh, 25,000 commencements this year. We've 30, or sorry, 25,000 25, completions. I think that's what was heard at the briefing today. The, yeah. the, it's 25,000 completions this year, 30,000 commencements. Uh, plannings, planning permissions are up at around 40,000, so that's a, a new time record. Uh, and mortgages, mortgage approvals are at 16,000. That's the most in about 15 okay, years. Lots of figures so, there. But I, they I are, just, but that, that, yeah, I mean, that is indicating that things are, are going in the right direction. Mm. But absolutely, but, they're but, nowhere but near where we need enough, to be. I mean, the question the, is, is there that urgency? I mean, it's in every uh, political interest at this point, Marie Sherlock, for that urgency to be there to build houses, to increase supply. Question is, is it is it possible? Do you think that there is that, that political urgency? Well, 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 there isn't, and, and and you know, and even like we had the announcement of the eviction ban yesterday, and and that purely was introduced because there's simply no emergency housing left in in Dublin at the moment, such as the sheer scale of demand, because of the lack of housing available for people to to, to rent, um, and so. Ultimately, you know, th there isn't that urgency. And, and I suppose what we haven't spoken about tonight are all those on average incomes. You know, average income is about €45,000 in this country. They are still miles away from being able to ever, you know, there apply for a mortgage in this, in, in, in this country. So there's thousands watching this programme tonight and they are, you know, effectively condemned to having to rent at very high rates for a long time to come because they simply don't have the houses coming into the market. So, you know, we, we need to see something from government, particularly with regards to materials, because we're talking to, like, okay. as in some builders at the moment, and, and, and crisis is going to hit over the winter months. Well, sorry, and I'll come back yeah. to you in a minute, Christopher. Martina, on that, the affordability is still a major issue, isn't it, for people? Like, it, even if you're getting, say, four times the amount and all of that, you're still looking at a market where house prices are out of reach for many, many people. Yeah, and if I look at my client base, we have so many people who want to buy, who don't want to borrow more, they just want to buy affordable homes. And the issue isn't always how much somebody can borrow, it's the availability of homes. So we would have clients, and the mortgage approval lasts six to 12 months, depending on the lender, we'd have clients who are actively looking to buy homes, but just the supply isn't there. So they actually can't buy homes, even though they have mortgage approval at a level that they're comfortable with, and at a level that is, you know, affordable for them them to borrow at and to buy and um, but just the stock of property isn't there the, the issue is supply yeah uh, interesting on this um, and Ben just um, to bring you in finally on on the matter and I, I suppose when I was looking around at just reaction and getting reaction from people to this the loosening of the rules today there seemed to be quite a few younger people and um, people are looking to buy a home um, on social media saying this is a really ba bad idea. We already found it unaffordable. We're worried now that we're going to be completely squeezed out of the market. You don't share that concern? I don't, because you just look at 
threshold report in the last couple of months. Threshold looked at renters. It saw that they're spending 30, 40, 50% of their income on rent. So I don't have any fear of anyone being able to pay back four times their income. You look at the UK, it's four and a half. It was higher during the County Tiger. And I just want to go back to something that Deputy O'Sullivan said earlier when he was giving the example of somebody on 50,000 euro a year that could get a loan of 200,000 euro now and they could use government supports to bridge the gap. Those government supports are only for new builds. They're not for second-hand homes. New builds in Dublin are four, five, six hundred thousand euro. There's so many people who cannot. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever dream of getting there without getting a loan of 200 grand from their parents. And I just think it's it's... It's quite disingenuous for the government to continually um, say that these supports are in place when they're only for new builds. And as we've just heard in that discussion, the price of new builds is going to go up because the building materials is going to go up. So until there is some help for buying a second-hand home, even getting rid of stamp duty, it's 1%. It's a small little thing that would help people get on the property ladder. OK, we'll have to leave it there. Uh, my thanks to Martina Hennessy, to Paul Colgan, uh, Ben Finnegan there on Skype and Roisin Murphy, who joined us as well on Skype tonight. Christopher and Marie are staying with me as we take a look at the issue of anxiety among school children, with principals saying that kids are suffering and it's getting worse. Welcome back. It's been a day of drama in the skies. Much of the country has been experiencing thunder and lightning storms with a thunderstorm warning in effect uh, for much of tonight. Meanwhile, this was the scene off the coast of Arklow in Wicklow today. A wind turbine was hit by lightning and was on fire. It's understood it will be allowed to burn itself out. 
Well, let's bring in Alan O'Reilly from Carlo Weather for more on this. Uh, when you look at those dramatic pictures, it really gives you uh, an insight into what's happening, as I say, above our, our skies today. And people, I think, may be caught in the hop by the wild weather out there. We haven't experienced that level of, of lightning in a while. So what's happening? Yes, and Derek, there was a lot of lightning um, really through early afternoon, which obviously was we're on the east coast, first of all. Um, and that followed the previous night in the south. And then it's come up again from the south tonight and it's brought some very heavy thundery downpours and lots of lightning again. We have some very mild air from the south um, and we have some low pressure as well, which is creating that instability, which is bringing us these thunderstorms. And unfortunately, thunderstorms are notoriously difficult to forecast and pinpoint where they're going to hit. Um, so that's what probably caught a lot of people on the hop because they're, they're kind of hard to give long notice for them. Um, but certainly an awful lot of torrential downpours and, and thunder and lightning. And in the last hour, it has moved up along the East Coast and Dublin has seen an awful lot of thunder and lightning in the last hour. Yeah, you could actually hear it here in studio. Uh, don't, hopefully it didn't come out on air, but it is that, it is that loud tonight. Um, Alan, you know, when we see these lightning strikes and we saw what happened, the turbine off the coast of Wicklow, you know, there is a worry that it, this, this, is, this is dangerous, this is risky to people. I mean, should, what should people do um, in the event of, of lightning striking? Is there, we often hear, you know, do you run under the tree or do you avoid it at all costs? You know, what, what are the, what's the advice for people with this sort of weather? Generally, when there's thunderstorms indoors, if at all possible, or even in a car, um, under a tree is not the place to be because if that tree gets struck by lightning, it's not going to be pretty. Um, so generally indoors, if you can at all, or in a car, or, or try and take shelter um, that's not on high ground or not open ground, um, because obviously if you're on open ground, it can cause problems. And we often see livestock killed in these events as well. So unfortunately, that's likely to have happened tonight as well. Um, so take shelter, really, let it pass. I mean, it does pass quite quickly um, it might seem like it goes on forever but generally after about an hour it does move um, and that's the case at the moment it started off in Wexford and it's now reached Dublin so it is moving um, so you just have to wait it out really. Okay Alan Riley of Carlo Weather uh, thanks for joining us tonight with the very latest on those dramatic thunder and lightning storms. Now principals are sounding the alarm about what they see as a rise of anxiety in the classroom. Speaking in front of the Oireachtas Education Committee, they said the situation is getting worse and has actually escalated since the pandemic. Now Christopher O'Sullivan and Marie Sherlock are still with me. I'm joined by Dr Coleman Nocter, child and adolescent psychotherapist. Um, you're welcome to the programme, Coleman. Um, let's talk about what we're seeing right now. Firstly, these concerns that are being shared by, by principals um, are you surprised by this? Not a bit. I mean, again, children are not immune to anxious, anxious cultures. So we had the pandemic, of course, there's loads of disruption. And we, I was on this show myself saying, you know, none of these kind of were cost neutral. They were going to have an impact on children's social and emotional development. And we knew that recalibrating after the pandemic would involve some of the, some children struggling with that. But we've also got an inflation crisis. We've got a global conflict mm -hmm. and, you know, a climate crisis. So children are just constantly braced for the next disaster. The last three years have been one unprecedented event after and another. They, I mean, kids don't all necessarily know about all of this, but are they like sponges at home, tuning into conversations maybe around the cost of living crisis, for example, when they're sort of... You know, children are a symptom of a family. Switch the lights so from, off and yeah, turn so, down the heat and all of that kind of thing. Are they is that playing into their fears? Absolutely, and they're sponges to atmosphere. Do you know what I mean? And they might not know why they're anxious. Do you know what I mean? But they see mum anxious, they see dad anxious, they 
I mean, the, the media is scary at the moment. There's so many, it's a lot of doom, a lot of gloom. Mm. And there is, I mean, I mean, we're seeing kind of fallout from pandemic frustration as well. You know, it's spilling out into children's sports activities. We're seeing kind of high tensions rising everywhere. You know, so children are not immune to that. They may not be able to articulate it, but they certainly feel it. But what I think is important to say, like, not all worry is anxiety and not all sadness is depression. And sometimes we can kind of pathologize mm -hmm. children who are who have been through something you know just because you've been through something doesn't mean you're over it and it will take some time for children to recover to say recalibrate and that, that that's not about giving them diagnoses or disorder it's about giving them support and what i i'd probably hear from the the, the uh, principals committees that the schools are under pressure yeah. to provide that support yeah well earlier uh, i spoke to roshi nick on the principal of mullingar educate together and asked her if she has seen a children's behaviour change? Yes, we have. Initially, um, when the children returned to school, there was the excitement of return to routine, friendships, connections, etc. And we were worried, very worried during COVID when the children weren't in school, that some children, you know, uh, may be at greater risk. But once we settled back into routine, we noticed that, uh, you know, children were anxious, even when they were meeting their friends again, that whole idea of being in large groups. Um, and how we addressed it at our school level, we were very, very lucky that prior to uh, COVID, the COVID pandemic, we became involved in a programme run by Educate Together, um, a nurture programme. And uh, with that, uh, we were able to be culturally responsive to the children, to meet their needs. And uh, we have found that of great help to the children. So it's a kind of where you intervene with the children, uh, you look at where they're at, uh, build on their strengths, build a sense of resilience, and you develop within them emotional literacy, uh, language, communication, and an understanding and an empathy for others. And this is done in a kind of a family atmosphere in the school context. And we also have a programme called Roots of Empathy, where uh, essentially you have a, a mother or a father, a parent, and their baby child comes into the school and works with a class um, over the year, the school year, for a three-week period. And this helps, again, you have um, a teacher or kind of a mentor who helps instruct the children on how to identify with the child, to be able to name emotions, etc., and then, uh, by extension, then look at their own friendships and how to empathise with others. And these two initiatives we have found to be very effective. And yet the Dáil Committee uh, did hear that teachers are not equipped to meet the needs of children who need this assistance in the classroom. Is that your experience? And do you think there's more intervention needed uh, despite the initiatives that you've talked about? Yeah, I would find that. Um, but, you know, uh, the, the new buzzword uh, and, and uh, is, you know, about well-being, you know, and ministers Madigan and Foley recognised uh, this whole thing uh, during the COVID pandemic. And I think the most significant uh, impact that if we wanted directly to impact on the children who present in our schools on a daily basis is the lowering of the pupil-teacher ratio because that can have an immediate effect in terms of relationship buildings within the classroom context, in terms of allowing children that space for self-expression and allowing the teachers to become that significant other in the child in the child's life. Because we're all aware, and possibly it has been muted before, that between October 21 and February 22, there was an increase in the waiting list for CAMS, that's the Child and Adolescent Mental Health Services, by 849 children. 
Now, 53% of the children that are on the waiting list for CAMS are seen within a 12-month period. But 10% of children who are waiting for CAMS wait for longer periods than that. And these children present, and young adults, present every day to primary schools and secondary schools across the country. And absolutely, teachers are not counsellors, but teachers and schools can provide a safe space for the majority of children. But yes, there should be qualified counsellors on site. But, you know, there's no one answer, one size fits all. It needs to be locally based, locally driven, and culturally responsive to the needs of the particular children that present at a given time in a school. And, you know, a day, a week lost is can never be regained by a child, you know. And that was Roisin Nicturnon of Mullingar Educate Together. Like, she's making the point, we're asking an awful lot of teachers when you hear about Roisin and with all these initiatives that they're doing. And at the end of the day, she's saying, you know, they're managing really big classes of children. That, so the pupil-teacher ratios make something like this quite challenging, even though they're trying their very best with it. Are we providing enough support to schools in this area? There's certainly gaps there, Claire. There's, there's gaps in the services. Um, NEPS, the National Education Psychologist Service, can only do so much. They're spread too thinly. Um, so there, there needs to be an intervention. And that's why I welcome Minister Foley's recent announcement at the €5 million Euro, uh, pilot project to uh, provide mm -hmm. counselling and therapeutic services to children in primary schools. And this has very much come about uh, by a grassroots movement within my own party where we met with young people, people who were either just out of secondary school or perhaps um, still in secondary school. And they spoke about traumatic experiences that they had themselves. It could have been a loss of a loved one. Uh, it could have been even a loss of a, a classmate. Um, and what they found was, and what they were telling us was, uh, and Minister Foley was included in, in, in these um, discussions, was that the supports, the, the level of counselling, the level of supports weren't there. Uh, NEPS uh, could only do so much. So what we need to see now, and I absolutely agree with Coleman and, and Roisin, what we need to see is the pressure taken off teachers. They're not counsellors, they're not therapists. Uh, the, and how the, quickly, the how soon is this going to be rolled out? Uh, the details of that are being uh, announced at the moment, but it's a five million project and it will be separate to NEPS. I think that's really important. It's, it's going to be standalone, so NEPS will still provide So what will uh, it mean? So there's, there's going to be specialist counsellors or a team of counsellors operating around several it'll be, schools? It'll be multi multidisciplinary and I think that's really important. And, and it, there's been a similar project rolled out actually in Dublin City in North right. East Dublin where 10 schools uh, have taken part in a pilot project where there is um, okay. a speech and language therapist, occupational therapist, psychologist and uh, uh, counsellors as well involved and that's absolutely important. We see it in okay. third All level right. education clear where counsellors are, are provided we need to see it now in primary schools and secondary schools. It's like we know vital. that child and adolescent services are incredibly under pressure. Roisin pointed to it there, Coleman. You talk about it all the time, the waiting lists for children to be seen and um, to be cared for within the system. Marie, what do you make of this initiative? Um, it's being described as groundbreaking, providing counselling in primary schools. Well, I, I think the thing is we don't need a pilot. We need something that's rolled across, you know, primary schools right across this country. And, and in our alternative budget, our health spokesperson, Duncan Smith, called for a 20 euro grant per pupil in every school of the country because you know anybody who's familiar with mental health services will know in this country it's massively under-resourced CAMS is really stretched the National Econo Educational Psychology Service is really stretched and ultimately I suppose we've got two things here we've got mental well-being which we need to try and enhance and improve within schools and also ill health as well which you know you talked about the waiting list there so you know the pilot is welcome but 
I, I think what we heard from the principals yesterday is that this is happening across many schools in the country. So we need to see greater urgency from the Absolutely. government and ensure that it's across every school. And, and uh, you know, because the pilot is only going to affect. That's the vision that it will be rolled out. I know, to every but I suppose the know? thing is, but you know, this does not cost a lot of money, and yet the need is very real. And you know, anybody with children will know that you need to act now. You can't wait in a year or two mm. years' time because the damage is done. And Cole will, mm. you know, be able to attest to this better yeah. than I can. You know, the damage that's done if we wait is all the greater. So we need to act now. Uh, Coleman, your thoughts on that and the government response to what is a growing concern among principals, teachers, I'm sure among parents as well. It, it, it does appear that in the wake of the pandemic, a lot of these issues have really come to the fore and it's been played out in the classroom. Yeah, and this predates the pandemic. Like it, 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 the idea of children are getting older, younger. So the primary school kid who's in fifth and sixth class is presenting with things that 10 or 15 years ago you wouldn't see till second or third year of secondary school. So there's no doubt that, that teachers in primary school are challenged with much more, like eating disorders, self-harm, that sort of stuff. So there is a need to support. And why is that happening when you say kids are getting older, younger? Because we're exposing them to more details and their information overload and their lives are much more, the pressure and expectation is getting younger and younger and younger, whether it be through academic sport, etc. So there's a cultural issue that we need to address. But I worked in Scotland in 2001 and most schools had a, a, a team linked to them with mental health professionals. So we're 20 years later. I, I, I do believe this is groundbreaking though, and I would use that word if we can get this right. I do think if we can intervene at an early age, especially in the primary school, and, and highlight these children who need that level of intervention. The wellbeing programmes are fantastic, and what Roisin is describing is fabulous, but there are young people who can't meditate through this. You know, there's stuff at home. Um, we it's have... at different levels. Yeah, there I mean... is the worry, and there is, you know, something that may be temporary and that you can, you can ease through by way of, of talking through one-on-one -on -one time with a child. And then there are the problems that go deeper that require yeah, more and, and it's those children who, you know, and maybe it's a, children of forced migration, a child who's come from another country trying to settle. They need expertise and they need professional help. They need that level of support, but they need to be identified and they're not going to get identified on a waiting list. But if there was someone in the school who had that level of expertise who could say, this is the child which the wellbeing programme should be fine with, and this is the child that needs something else. And it's, it makes sense that that would, that, that that would make a difference. Mm -hmm. But uh, we are, we're faced with different challenges. And, you know, we say to children all the time, you know, we talk to somebody, but we have to have someone to talk to. Um, and maybe that's probably the bit where we're slipping up on. OK, all right. Um, we will leave it there. My thanks to the panel. Now, lots more coming up after this break as we take a look at what you need to do this winter with warnings of a COVID and flu Twindemic. Welcome back. Health officials are warning of a twindemic of COVID and flu this winter. So are we in any way ready for it? Well, let's chat to GP Knuot Mo. Uh, Knuot, thanks for joining us on the programme tonight. Um, First of all, to get an idea, I mean, we've been talking, obviously, about the fear of COVID and COVID re-emerging again this winter. But how bad do you think flu could be this year? Because we've had a bit of a reprieve from it in other years because of various lockdowns and social distancing and people staying apart. Um, it's not like that this season. Um, do you think we're going to feel the flu more? 
Well, I think we, we take a lot of what's, what our predictions are coming from are from uh, what happens in the Southern Hemisphere in places like Australia in the six months prior to, uh, mm. to now. And, and by all accounts, they have had um, quite a high rate of flu. So, so there is a worry that that might be coming down the line. Um, and so the best thing we can do to prevent against that is really for our at-risk people to, to get the flu vaccine like we recommend every year. So the advice hasn't really changed. It's, it's really just to, if you are at risk, to think about getting so, protected. So First of all, is there big demand for it this year? Are you finding that in your GP surgery? Yeah, we've seen a, a huge demand in flu vaccines this year. Um, particularly, we, we reach out to our patients over 70, so the really vulnerable ones who we've vaccinated in, in general practice. We've been reaching out to them. So there's great demand for the flu vaccine, which, which they are, to be fair, getting every year, um, but particularly this year, but also actually really good demand for the, their third booster in the over 65-year-olds, mm -hmm. which, is, which is great to see. About 80% of my patients, for example, who are getting the flu jab are getting it and, and really the reasons they're not getting the booster is because it's it's not four months since they've had their last booster or since their last COVID infection. Right. Just on uh, the flu jab, who's entitled to that? Can anyone get it? Because we hear about a growing number of children also getting the flu vaccine. They can get it uh, nasally, I think, uh, which makes it a little easier on them. Sure. Um, but is there that demand across the board, not just older and more vulnerable people? So I think there's just two elements. There's the traditional demand, and that would be the over 65s and the medically vulnerable, and they're entitled to a free flu vaccine. Um, and then I suppose there's the carers of those who want to get those as well uh, in household contacts of people who might be at risk. There's also then people 18 to 64 who aren't considered at medical risk, but who choose to get the flu vaccine to protect themselves and maybe others around them. And that's available either through your GP or the pharmacy or sometimes workplaces would offer that as well. And there is a cost associated with that. There would be if they're not eligible for the free, the free vaccine on the stage there would be a cost um, which varies 20 to 30 euros or, or there or thereabouts um, but then there's the in the last three years there has been the children's nasal flu vaccine which has been around in the UK and the US for quite a number of years and um, so children from the age of 2 to 17 um, get it we gave it to our own children uh, in, uh, in in the practice and uh, they, they got it recently enough and there were it's a spritz to the nostril one spritz to each nostril so it's a, it's a really there's no needles involved um, they, they were excited to get it a couple of years ago. I think some of them were, uh, there was a little bit of trepidation because they were the probably... No, the novelty may have worn off now. Yeah, perhaps. But it's still, it's still an effective way of, of administering Very the jab for, for, yeah. for younger kids. Uh, just on the booster, mm. the COVID booster, that is, who is entitled to it now? Because I think people are quite confused about who can get the booster this season. There seems to be a push, politically at least, that people go and, and get themselves jabbed. But actually, if you're under 50... You're not entitled to it. So you're not entitled to a second booster if you're under 50 and don't have any underlying medical conditions that will put you at increased medical risk. So if you're 50 or above, you can get your second booster. Anybody over the age of 12 can get a booster without any medical conditions. Um, anybody over the age of 65 would be on their third booster at this point. So there is a, a stratification. It's not all, the all that The first booster, just to clarify, was the one that people got, say, last Christmas with the Omicron variant and all of exactly. that. There was that big national push for everyone to get the booster. Exactly. So yeah. it's uh, third time round for older people and mm -hmm. then for over 50s, second time round, they, they can now apply. Because we did mm -hmm. ask um, viewers, you know, some of their questions, medical questions, um, this flu season and this, this COVID season, we should also say. Sure. And somebody asked, do you think that 18 to 50-year-olds should be getting the booster? 
Well, I think it's all around it's all around personal risk, really. They, uh, NIAC hasn't come out and recommended that people who are at no increased medical risk get the booster, and they don't anticipate, as per Stephen Donnelly, I believe, at the weekend said, he doesn't anticipate that coming out, but that's up to NIAC to make that recommendation. Um, so, so there isn't an option if you're if you're under fifty and don't have medical risk to get another booster. Um, but the first booster, they do think, prolongs that immunity from the primary course. So, one booster is definitely recommended for for everybody. Okay. Over did you wait to hear from your GP about going for a booster or can you just make your appointment if you're over 50, over 65? So you can you can get it through your GP and, and certainly contact, looking at the GP's website, having a look at the HSC website and, and spending a little bit of time trying to figure it out because it is, as you say, quite mm. complex to try and figure out what, what category you fall into. But equally, you can contact the HSC and go to one of the vaccine centres uh, or pharmacies if they're still in the vaccines. OK. Uh, should you mind your timing around if you're going to get the flu jab and the COVID booster? Should you get them on the same day or, you know, is there evidence to su suggest there may be a little bit more um, reaction to the jab? Um, the, to, the, the NIAC them are recommending together? we give them together um, and they're not suggesting that we take a break in between them uh, for any particular reason. Certainly we've been vaccinating since the last week of September and we haven't seen any increased rates of side effects amongst our patients getting it. It seems to be pretty well tolerated uh, as per previous doses. Okay, so, so you can take, take the two together. Yeah. And there is a slight difference with this particular boost there, isn't there? It's adapted uh, to new and changing variants with COVID. This is it. There's the adapted Omicron BA1 or, or BA4.5 might be coming out. Most of the people I think are getting the BA1 vaccine uh, adapted uh, for Omicron uh, at the moment. So it is the most up-to-date vaccine. It was only approved last month by the EMA. So it's uh, it's it really arrived in about 10 days after it was approved. So it's it's really hot off the press. So it's okay. The and briefly, test and trace, all of that is gone now when it comes to COVID. It's just a case of staying at home and staying away from people if you've got symptoms. I think managing personal risk, doing an antigen, just to not to be passing things on to other people really is, is the message. Okay, Knewitt, thank you so much for joining us tonight with all that medical advice. That is it from us. Our programme is available as a podcast on all major platforms. You can also now find us on Instagram and on TikTok, tonight VMTV. The group chat is on Virgin Media 2 in a few minutes' time, but from all the late team here, good night. Take care. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series.